the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I'm always going to work hard to get you some good ideas and thoughts. If you listen to the show for 15 minutes, I want to think you're going to walk away with one nugget of financial information. Whether it's, it's a great nugget or not, it depends on the day. I get it. My commute's a good hour each way sometimes, so I get the value of it. Like, your time is worth something to me. So I try to do my very, very best. Uh, one of the areas that I want to talk about is that when I was growing when my brother David was growing up, he's good eight, ten years older than me, there was, like, people would prep for nuclear bombs still. They would get under their desks in case a nuke hit, which is pretty funny, telling me that our government wasn't really being honest with what we should be doing. But they were building up kind of a propaganda machine that Russians were bad and they're going to nuke us one day and we'll be safe because we're smarter than they are and going to hide under our chairs. So I kind of grew up in a world where, you know, my brother David knew about Kennedy and Khrushchev and like uh, Cuban Missile Crisis and stuff like that. My middle name came from one of the presidents of the United States. I have the world's worst middle name, Francis. So Kennedy was John Franklin Kennedy, but his Christian name was Francis or something like that. And then Bobby Kennedy, you could see that that's how I got Robert, right? So my family loved the Kennedys. And there was a moment in time when uh, they were shot or he was shot. And my parents were eating hot dogs. They were in Germany. They never, ever ate a hot dog again. That's how traumatic it was. We all remember where we were when... 9-11 happened. We already, that was a moment for a different generation, right? So the Cold War, U.S. against Russia. Reagan going, tear that wall down. You know where the Cold War is now? It's U.S. and China and technology. And it's, it's for real. Um, the importance of 5G, the importance of intellectual property, the importance of um, you know, a TikTok app versus Facebook app. I'm like, what is the TikTok app? So I have to find this stuff out for you so that I can give you good advice and get good insight. I look at things as a Cold War, and we have, the U.S. has an advantage right now in intellectual property and technology. We are still the world power, and China's still copying us, whether it's companies like Flex or Broadcom, Qualcomm, Micron, Intel, Corvo. Uh, we kind of rock it. But the Cold War is there. And I bring that up in large part because I'm going to try to teach you a little bit more about tech. Here's how you can become a good tech company. It's not about the best tech. <laughs> right? Let's test number 12 one more time. Right? It's not about the tech, right? Thank you. Thank you. I, I've got a tick. <laughs> I don't have a talk. I got a tick. So here's how you can become the best tech company. Um, technological barriers, superiority is not relevant. It's irrelevant. It's less than relevant. It's irrelevant. The benefits that technological superior give you, it basically is fleeting. Better technology is not a sustainable competitive advantage. Technology tends to, now again, we're in kind of like technology 2.0 with social media, 
But if you talk about technology in Silicon Valley, you tend to talk about smaller, cheaper, faster. So the fact that computers went from 4,000 to 3,500 to 3,000, 2,500 to 2,000, 1,500, 500, smaller, cheaper, faster, because the, the, the semiconductors got faster, they got cheaper. And how does this all work? How do you evaluate a tech company? You should have some questions written down for every type of company you buy. And one of the ones of, of them is the network effect. Is a product becomes more valuable the more people use it. Adobe is the standard for electronic publishing. Facebook is the standard for putting up ugly pictures of your children. Microsoft owned the market for PC until kind of Google came along and said, you know what, we can do an operating system for free. We'll throw Chrome on any computer. And while we're at it, we'll put our maps on. And we're going to suck a lot of data out of you because it's all free. And then we're going to reuse that data from you. And if it gets caught up in a breach, we'll say sorry. Sorry. Gilly from Saturday Night Live. Sorry. One of my favorite characters of Saturday Night Live, for the record. Um, and I am a Saturday Night Live kid. It's getting my generation. We grew up and, you know, you'd, you'd beg mom and dad to stay up. They'd say no. So you just turn on the, the TV really quietly and watch it while they were sleeping. But the network effect is super powerful. So can you get your product in everyone's hand, right? Or do you go in more of a niche thing? Like Snap is really about millennials in theory, but that's not a business model in of itself. There's a high switching cost. That's another thing that you're looking for in technology. If you've been trained on Adobe Photoshop and you have to go use something else, good luck to you. That curve is expensive. Um, I've got, I could do a better Excel spreadsheet than anyone else on this planet. I think if there was an Excel spreadsheet for Olympics, I would dominate it. For me to learn anything else, I'm sticking with Microsoft, baby. I've put my time in, right? And I, if I just called you baby and you're offended by that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because nobody backs baby into a corner. Time is money, as the Alan Olson commercial says again and again and again for the last seven years. But time is money, right? So relearning things is expensive. For Oracle, their power in the 90s and, and early 2000s was that their database was installed. And to gut it out, you lost everything. And it was expensive to put something new in. That was the power of it. It wasn't the best in the world. There was other companies like Informix, um, PeopleSoft. There was other companies that were doing Siebel systems um, that were doing just as good stuff. One of those companies, not a networking, not a database company. <laughs> My mind's losing it. So you're looking for a network effect. Can you get the product in everyone's hand? Then you're looking for the high switching costs. Because once you're entrenched, you can ride this puppy for many, many years. Then you're looking for economies of scale. Intel probably doesn't make the best semiconductor in the world, but they can make the most of them. And when you can make the most of them, you can say, well, we're going to buy a lot of silicon from you. And uh, we like to buy 10 million pounds. And we're going to put it in these ovens over at Blood Materials, and they're going to bake it into a semiconductor. Not very many people can have that expensive of a, a model put into place where they can start spreading fixed costs. Spreading fixed costs is the dominant way to, to kick butt in your industry. Because then you couldn't like, cheat in marketing. You can cheat in research. Intel, remember the whole ad campaign, Intel Inside? And it would go, do-do-do-do. They did that because they could make millions and millions of them. Economies of scale, the network effect, high switching costs. Then you're looking for a cost advantage. Um, cost advantage can be easily explained of, you know, do you have to go to a mall to buy it? Or can you do a direct order on the internet? Amazon has a cost advantage because they don't have physical stores. Now they're starting to have physical stores and it makes me crazy. Before they're like, you want something? We'll send it to you from a warehouse. You don't even have to get off your butt. You just sit on your couch and uh, we'll bring it to you. Grubhub, we'll bring you food to Like everyone will bring it to you, right? Cost advantages. 
if you can figure out a way to not pay retail space in rent, you're you're pretty good. And you're looking for intellectual property. Qualcomm has so many patents. Apple has so many patents. Eh, some of them times they get abused. Sometimes they're like silly patents. Like we're going to come up with a communication device. Like that should go to Star Trek. Star Trek should own that intellectual property on all cell phones, right? With a communicator. It doesn't quite work like that. But those are the five things you're looking for in a tech company. Intellectual property, cost advantage, economies of scale, high switching cost, and network effect. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. So yesterday, a little bit more research came out of Wall Street on Amazon.com. And it appears that this analyst is saying it looks like they're going to expand their foothold in the grocery arena. Dabbed their toe in with Whole Foods. Now what are they going to do? Amazon's plan knocked down shares of grocery stores like Kroger yesterday, publicly traded. It's got huge implications for traditional grocers and consumers. Morgan Stanley analysts expect the push, if it comes to pass, to change consumers' in-store shopping experiences and expectations and redefine what a store is. So yesterday you saw a little bit of weakness because Amazon hinted about getting more into groceries. Watch out Kroger, watch out Costco, watch out Walmart. And again, you don't think of maybe Walmart as a grocery store, but it is, right? You don't think of Costco as a grocery store. Well, you probably think of Costco as a grocery store, but maybe like Target. They're all kind of like trying to do new little things to get you to come in and buy you know, cheap breath mints. Um, Amazon's planning to open dozens of grocery stores in several major U.S. cities, the e-commerce giant said yesterday. Strikes fear into shoppers and strikes fear into supermarkets. And, you know, will Amazon innovate something crazy? I think Amazon has innovated the digital experience of purchasing goods online. They've innovated in fulfillment. Hold on, wait. Not only can I buy it, but it can be to me in under two days. Sweet. Used to be you'd order something and, God, uh, do you remember ordering like something, maybe a jacket from Macy's? It's the exact size you want. You've had one before. You're just getting another one. It's Michael Jackson, red leather. And uh, you hit order, and then it says, your order will be sent to you in six weeks. So Amazon's done a lot of innovation, in my opinion. The fulfillment, the digital experience, the one-click thing. No line, no checkouts, frictionless. Coming to grocery stores sounds good to me. Sometimes you get in, you go into a grocery store and you go get your food and you get in line and you're like, ah, oh, it's 14 people deep. Or like me yesterday, I go to a grocery store and I forget my wallet. And I'm like, I'm going to come back in an hour. Because they, they don't accept PayPal. They don't accept Amazon. Like there could be a frictionless checkout that could have saved that grocery store some money. So I took everything off the shelf and ultimately I had to put it back because I didn't get back in time, right? So... What will this big change be in grocery stores? And again, I think you could look at Amazon and say Amazon Web Services is fine. They're a deep-pocketed player in the expanding physical grocery world. And that's certainly an incremental negative for the current retailers that are there. You've heard of things that are called a loss leader, where a company loses money. The best example I can give you is when the Xbox One comes out and the PlayStation 4, the PlayStation 5 
they lose money for a while. They typically bundle it with a game, so they start making a little bit of money right back. And then they, they, they want you to get two or three more games, and that's when they make their money off the licensing. So that's a loss leader. So Amazon shares are up 13% this year, but they're down from the record high of 17%. That was set in September. Same thing with, you could probably say the same thing, very similar with Apple computers. Sales of U.S. single-family homes rose recently. Uh, there's been a lot of negative data points on homes, but there's also been a perk up recently. Which way is it going to break? Home prices in January rose at their slowest pace in nearly seven years, but buyers shouldn't feel confident yet. A new survey says the prices might be on the verge of picking up yet again. Home values in January rose 4.4% higher than a year previous, smaller than the 4.7% gain in December, so the brakes. Stop the train! There's a car on the track! Stop the train! Um, it's very, very difficult to predict with any certainty that you know real estate's going to crash. It's not. The spike in mortgage interest rates last fall chilled some buyer activity, but you've seen new year interest rates start to creep a little bit lower. Oh, perfect. It's snowing across the United States. Yeah, that's the point. The snow is going to break into spring flowers very, very soon. So the lower interest rates should help. In California, where home prices surged the highest, sales stalled in the fall to the slowest pace in over a decade. High interest, higher interest rates were the tipping point, and they've, they've dwindled their way back down. You know what company I wish I would have bought? I wish that at one point in time I had a couple billion dollars laying around, and I don't. Um, there's one analyst, uh, Needham Laura Martin. She's saying that she likes Google because of YouTube. It's worth $140 billion now. So she's saying Google goes higher, but she wants to see the company split off from Google so that they can compete more directly with Netflix. If you take a look at 10 times revenue on something like a Netflix, you can see that you know YouTube was just a massive home run for the boys at Google when they bought it for a couple billion. Um... That's pretty amazing. And again, it shows you where, the not the future is, but where the current set of eyeballs are. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Chipotle, they're continuing a quite a rebound. Do you probably remember a few years ago, Chipotle got into a lot of trouble, took a simple CMG. The stock continues to move higher. It's about 19% of its all-time high, and they had some problems. There was a lot of skepticism that they were going to be able to turn around, but they brought in someone from Taco Bell, which, not a bad move. Taco Bell, not exactly a, a culinary gourmet facility, but that's the point. If you could run that company and run it well, you can see some pretty big things for um, the positive execution and how that translates into stock price for Chipotle Mexican Grill, ticker symbol CMG. Um, revenues, profits, same store sales growth all look pretty good. They're testing new concepts. America remains a drive-through nation, so anything to do with you know getting you to their store to drive through or uh, stand out, and they'll they'll bring it to you. It's all good. So they're they're d- developing more pickup lanes. They're trying to renovate their older stores. It's an interesting stock. Um, it's it, you know I still prefer McDonald's for sure. But there is no doubt in my mind that it's an interesting stock. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show.
Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Big seminar coming up. You can sign up at robblackshow.com. Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, trying to get you to retirement. It's the goal. Simple way to start it is maxing out the 401k if it's available to you and a diverse set of investments. Something like the S&P 500 is a good start. Joining me now to talk a little bit about this and much, much more from briefing.com. Patrick O'Hare. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, good morning, Rob. I'm a little under the weather, so I apologize for the uh, raspy voice, but otherwise doing okay. We forgive you because uh, in California we may have rain, but we know how cold it is in Chicago. So no worries. Appreciate um, that. With that said, uh, I just talked about the you know something really simple. But how's the S and P five hundred doing, in your opinion, for the average person out there, like you know our family members who don't necessarily do this for a living? What do you think about the well, overall S and P five hundred? Yeah. Where do we stand? Yeah, I mean, objectively, you could say it's doing great. Um, it's up, uh, you know, eleven point three percent through the first you know two months and one week. <laughs> of the year, uh, I think going back to 1929, your average annual gain is, is somewhere around, say, a little under 8%. So, um, you know, so you've got a pretty good benchmark there to tell you that, uh, that we've had a great start to the year, um, much better than I think a lot of people uh, expected. Um, and, uh, you know, and it obviously bodes well for, uh, you know, for 401k accounts that, um, you know, are indexed to the S&P 500 and uh, it may not even be indexed to the S&P 500 because you've kind of had a, you know, all boats rise with the tide um, uh, approach here early in 2019. So all boats rising with the tide, um, January and February were, were very solid months, but we've moved into March. Um, are you fearful that maybe we've already got our gains for the year, or is there more to come with you know improving market conditions like China trade war maybe abating at the end of March with a big event at Mar-a-Lago? Uh, any thoughts on what the rest of the year looks like after such a great start? Yeah, it's a great question, Rob. Um, one that is obviously uh, very difficult to answer only because obviously we can't you know, tell the future, but you know, I would say this is that um, I do think that the uh, the quote easy money of 2019 has been made. Um, you know, you saw uh, quite the uh, reflex response to the Fed's pivot in early January, uh, where they said they were going to be more patient with their policy approach, and that was just music to the ears of this market, which in the fourth quarter was all riled up about the specter of the Fed getting too aggressive with its interest rate policy and ultimately inviting a, a recession. Uh, and uh, and so when the Fed made that pivot. Uh, it was interpreted really as the restoration of what is called the Fed put, you know, which um, market participants interpret as the Fed essentially being there to provide a security blanket for, for the equity market when things go bad. And that security blanket right now is a, you know, is a tacit pledge really not to raise interest rates for the time being. Um, so, 
you had a really strong move off of that pivot, and and now I think uh, you know you've had some multiple expansion uh, as a result of that. Uh, earnings estimates for the quarter, for the first quarter and the and the full year have actually come down as the S and P 500 has gone up, and so you've had that multiple expansion, you know, from about 14 times forward 12 month earnings uh, as we were entering 2019, up now to about 16, uh, a little more than 16 times forward 12-month earnings at this current level, uh, which puts the uh, you know, S&P 500, you know, kind of like right between its five and ten year averages, and we think it's kind of in a fair valuation zone, and it's going to likely take some time to, um, uh, I think, consolidate this move uh, as it waits to see what will this, what will the next catalyst be as it relates to a trade deal, uh, maybe even perhaps a shift back from the Fed uh, into uh, suggesting it could raise interest rates because maybe the economy is performing better than expected. But I think everyone's sort of now in this wait-and-see mode to see if some of the weakness abroad ultimately does filter over here into the U.S. in a more meaningful Way uh, and uh, and if it does, you're going to continue to see earnings estimates come down and questions about valuation uh, surface that are going to I think limit you know further upside potential. So I think Wall Street is the greatest show on earth. Um, it's just dramatic on a day by day basis. There's a lot of entertainment for me. It's as juicy as say E Online or. Um, some of the scandalous newspapers like TMZ and such. Uh, do you ever feel the drama? Does it does it get, ever get to you? Like, for instance, the Donald Trump, is he going to be impeached? Is he not going to get it, be impeached? Is Mueller going to get him? Is he not going to get him? Um, does the drama ever wear on you a little bit? Like, I feel like I've been talking about China and Trump for a while, and I, I, I feel like I could be totally wrong. It's like yeah. I feel like it could go on for even longer. Sure. Yeah, that, that's that tends to be a headline gift that keeps on giving, right? So, um, sure, I guess. You know, I, I don't. You know, the short answer is no. I mean, I've been doing this for 22 years, and, and the thing that I really do love about this job is that there, there is always something new uh, to focus on. And granted, it might sort of remain entrenched for a little bit longer than it might, you know, be necessary. You know, I'm talking like maybe you, you have the same narrative persist for, you know, months on end, but. Um, but at the end of the day, there's there's always something new to take into account to help uh, try to understand what's driving investor psychology and the movement of individual stocks, industries, and sectors. And um, it's always a challenge to 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 uh, to discern that and to communicate that to our subscribers at Briefing.com. And um, uh, and so I don't. I, it does not wear on me. Um, you know, there are some periods when you get into the, say like the su- summer doldrums where people go on vacation and there's not a lot going. On um, it became you know it is more challenging to, to write market commentary but but otherwise it's really a pleasure and an honor for me to do it and, uh, and I enjoy doing it very much. I got the easier side of the job because I could talk about the markets, but then I can go really soft and say, "Hey, did you see Ariana Grande's going to team up with Starbucks about some sort of cloud frappuccino?" And I can totally soften the news, but you have to stay within statistics and facts and. The data, so to speak. Um, little, I'm a little. I'm, I'm impressed with what you pull off, to say the least. Um, Taking a look at Target. Target came out with pretty good numbers. Is Target a tell for the middle class of America or the upper lower class? What are they, What does Target tell us at this this point in the earnings cycle? 
Yeah, you know, I think there is somewhat uh, some telling information, uh, not only in the report from Target, but also from Kohl's as it relates to the uh, consumer spending activity amongst, uh, you know, middle, middle-income, uh, you know, Americans. Um, those were both very good reports uh, in terms of uh, that were accented by strong same-store sales growth uh, and upbeat guidance, not only for earnings uh, next year, but also for same-store sales growth. So, you know, Target has been, um, you know, a, a restructuring store in a way. Um, it's had to kind of like go back to the drawing board uh, over the last several years and figure out how it's going to compete effectively against the likes of Amazon.com. And you're seeing that they're doing quite a good job at it uh, in terms of very strong digital sales growth. Um, you know, they've been innovative uh, somewhat uh, in that they've you know been able to introduce, um, you know, online ordering, in-store pickup, curbside delivery, things like that. Uh, and the numbers are bearing that out. Uh, it's not a smooth ride, necessarily, when you're in a restructuring period like that. But I think things uh, are trending in the right direction for a company like Target, which has done a nice job remodeling its stores and is clearly connecting right now with its, uh, with its consumer base. Give me one more nugget that you're working on currently, Mr. O'Hare. Maybe something that's going to come out in the future or maybe something that you want to write about tomorrow. Um, anything that you're seeing out there that you want to share with the listeners to give them insight into the mind of Mr. O'Hare? Well, we kind of did touch on it a little bit. I'm I'm contemplating a couple ideas maybe from the big picture column this week, uh, that being, you know, uh, do you, quote, quit while you're ahead with this market, you know, seeing how far it's run in such a short amount of time. Uh, And then the other idea being uh, taking a closer look at the trend in earnings estimates and uh, getting to the bottom line of what that might ultimately mean as you take a look at the market and your investment uh, prospects over the remaining course of the year. Thanks very much. Go rest that voice and uh, try to stay warm in Chicago because it's still winter out there. It's Mr. Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com, a great source of domestic and international information. you got to check it out if you have it. Um, it is a subscription service. It's something I've used for 20-plus years. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Mr. O'Hare for at least 10-plus years directly, if not longer. Um, I want to say it's longer. <laughs> so it's been a good while. Some supportive elements out there. You can find more information. Information is key to success when it comes to investing. There's earnings calendars. There's analyst commentary. There's uh, what's going to happen on the market today. There's technical takes. Um, There's all sorts of good stuff that you can find at briefing.com. That's briefing.com. So furthermore, we continue to forward, uh, push forward. I'm fascinated with the Lyft IPO that's going to be coming out. Um, I think it's going to teach us a lot. They are going to do everything they can to show us all the data that makes them important, including how much we spend on transportation versus how much people can save with them. The average cost of a new vehicle is starting to hurt uh, the middle class and lower classes. Uh, there's kind of a, a class fight going on in cars as far as the cost goes. So... Um, Lyft is going to be doing a dog and pony show. When you say we want a couple billion, 10 billion, 50 billion, whatever billion you want from Wall Street, they say do a dog and pony show. Come and show us everything that's important on registrations and car registrations and titling and, and show us all the statistics that make you all powerful. It's called the Carpocalypse. If you ever saw Apocalypse Now, there's a lot of death. There's a lot of destruction. Carpocalypse, it's upon us. Dun, dun, dun. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Find briefing at briefing.com. 
I have a seminar coming up. Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I try to show you like trends like the carpocalypse. And trends like Google and how much revenue they're pulling in from YouTube, not even their search business. The carpocalypse is an interesting one to me because car registrations have declined about by about 10% in sales in the United States. Uh, car registrations are down about 10%, not sales. Let me correct that before someone corrects me. Uh, tire sales are down big time, and that's kind of a proxy of the overall industry. Overall, people just kind of don't necessarily want to own a car. It's expensive. I know a friend who went from two cars down to one, and it's been a pain in his butt. Uh, sharing a car with a spouse and a kid uh, leaves you making sure, like, you know, the bus schedule and everything else, right? But he's happy he's done it. Save some dough, Ray me. And I'm all about saving dough, Ray me. Especially when you're talking about, like, uh, you know, $5,000, $10,000, whatever it is we're putting in maintenance of our car is a lot of money. So we're seeing that cars are such big purchases, they can have a macro effect on economies. You've seen Germany and Britain. They're the Detroits, ultimately, of Europe. They depend on each other for parts, manufacturing, and sales. And there's this whole Brexit thing going on. So a lot of people are worried that that's going to uh, cause for an acceleration at the end of the era of cars. Now, again, who knows? Maybe a couple of years from now, we'll come up with a concept car that everyone enjoys and wants to have. Self-driving car could have been it, but not really. Uh, we're in for a bumpy ride if you're an investor in cars. I would be very, very cautious because the trend is, we don't really need it kind of thing. Um, and people are starting to scratch their head and say, if we don't need it, then why are we doing it? So eighth successful month Eighth successive, not successful, eighth successive month in a row where car sales are down in Europe. Interesting to note. I know you're saying, mm-hmm. is Europe the tell-all? Speaking of cars, the $18.9 million Bugatti, la voiture noire. It's the most expensive new car ever sold. I want, I want, I want. Um, I don't really want it. <laughs> so I don't know what I'd do with it. It's beautiful. Kind of looks like a Batmobile. It's it's slick. Um, no Bugatti for me. I know you're saying Bugatti for you. No Bugatti for you. A 16-cylinder engine. Is that right? A quad turbo? It's a pretty good slick-looking car. But I don't know. Uh, 16.7 euros with taxes. $18.9 million ultimately. Uh, so you can't be a fair-weather Bugatti fan. You're either all in or you're not. I don't know. Again, not for me. Uh, new home sales rose to a seven-month high in December, but November outsized jump was revised lower. So we're still dealing with data from December. Price gains have been shrinking since April when they peaked at a 6.6% gain. Lower mortgage rates should help ignite a little bit of spring buying fever. I got the fever to buy a house. Ariana Grande. Is she uh, a spicy meatball of a singer? She's a spicy meatball. Um, no, she's a macchiato. Starbucks has released a new version of its popular drink today called the Cloud Macchiato. They've hired singer Ariana Grande, who's better known for being a fan of clouds than she is for coffee. Is serving as brand ambassador. I wonder what you have to pay Ariana Grande to send out a tweet about macchiatas. When she got like 7 million followers or something crazy, right? 
Grande posted pictures of herself wearing a green Starbucks apron. <laughs> oh, your daughter. My daughter loves Ariana Grande. Well, Ariana Grande is a sellout. So Grande, whose name sounds like the drink Starbucks Grande, is a perfect fit, um, especially for this cloud macchiato, because she's getting out of it a little bit of something, too. She's getting out of perfume uh, that came out last month called Clouds. Uh-huh. Or Cloud. So remember a couple years ago? <clears throat> it feels like a couple years ago. It was last year. Someone won $1.5 billion in the lottery. Well, they came public and they said, we want it. We're taking it. Well, they didn't come public. They did it all privately. They don't want you to know who they are. They just took a lump sum payment of $878 million. Why didn't they take the jackpot over 30 years? Well, maybe they're not going to live 30 years and they want it. Maybe they're worried about taxes going up in the next 30 years because our, our state is struggling, our country is struggling. So they think maybe the tax brackets go up and they want it in their pocket now. There's also the issue of estate taxes. If you pass away before all your installments are paid, your estate with undistributed installments would be taxed at 40% of anything above $22 million. So they could have a situation where uh, it was an 80-year-old player who won. And they realize, I don't have time to take the all 30, pay- 30 years of payments, even though I don't want all that lump sum. What am I going to do with that? So one-time cash payouts, $878 million on the advertised $1.5 billion. That's the total after the annuity is paid out. But again, if you take that $878 million and invest it in the stock market, for instance, you should have $1.5 billion in, in seven years, not in 30 years. So in 14 years, you should have $3 billion. And by the time the whole thing's wrapped up 30 years later... You should have six billion dollars. So you can take one point five billion now in the annuity, or you can take eight hundred seventy eight million now, or you can take one point five billion over thirty years, or you can take six billion if you just go with the stock market route over those thirty years on your, your lump sum. Which one is more money? Six billion? One and a half billion? You tell me. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show. Big seminar coming up you can learn more about by going to newfocusfinancial.com and sign up for the events. Uh, Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. It's at newfocusfinancial.com. And have a good time. Have a good time. (laughs) Check out the information. Download some information. And uh, sign up for the big event coming up in March at newfocusfinancial.com. Use the code RADIO25. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.